when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 96 of Waypoint Radio, in which we will, Rob and I will have existential crises over, uh, are we allowed to say the catchphrases of uh, the other uh, co-hosts, Danielle Rando and Austin Walker. Danielle, do we know where she's going? I know she's going on vacation, and then I saw on Twitter that she's uh, going international, but I don't know where she's going. I don't want to like, she is headed to Scotland. Oh, that sounds awesome. It does. It sounds pretty rad. Have you uh, have you done a lot of international traveling? Are you are you one of those people that have? I I never managed to get around to it, and now I have a kid, which means I gotta wait till I'm like sixty five. I think I've done a little bit. Um, you know, I've, I've been basically to uh, to Sweden and a little time in England, and that's about it, actually. Uh, so no, I don't go, I don't get international too often. Yeah, I uh, the, most of my international travels were related to work. So it's like you know, I've gone to went to Japan for a Tokyo Game Show a number of years ago, and I worked at G Four, which that was like one of the rare work uh, trips uh, that I actually got to do something because we purposely booked it out. Uh, we went like three days ahead of the Tokyo Game Show so that we could actually enjoy Tokyo. Because usually, what ends up happening when you see oh, like it must be so cool to like work for one of these video game websites and go travel to like these foreign countries and go to these conventions. And that's not really something that we do at Waypoint, but was something I did all the time when I worked for bigger websites. And that was uh, more of the business model back then. Um, that you don't get to do that. You basically get to go to a convention center where people often don't speak the same language as you. And then you just go to your hotel and eat at some restaurant around the corner from wherever you're staying. So it's like, Okay, technically you've gone to a foreign country, but I don't... I mean, when I went to Gamescom, I went to Gamescom before it was in... I think it's in Leipzig now, I believe. Uh, Whatever was where it was before, when it was just getting started, I went. And the convention center uh, was in... It was like two hours from the main airport. It was in the middle of nowhere. You had to go past all these farm towns. And it seemed like I was. I had actually traveled dozens of hours to go to a uh, like a pop-up German town in the middle of the world. Like, I could have been in Kansas for all I knew. Like It basically just looked like the U.S., and then there's like a city that only exists economically because of this massive convention center that hosts all these different things. And so like, I ate German food at night and got ta- uh, tired of sausage. But other than that, I didn't really feel like I went to, to Germany. I didn't get to go to Munich or anything interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of these trips, like if it's a really focused business trip – 
the business is going to be so all-consuming in a lot of ways it will feel like you have not actually gone anywhere or at least not gone anywhere worth going right you're you're in an office park in another part of the world and those are different but not like all that different <laughs> yeah it's like going out and having a couple of drinks at a japanese bar while yes it's uh, different in that you are having drinks in a different bar it, it's not i don't know if that's necessarily i would call that experiencing the culture of a country <laughs> yeah I, I will say um you know, I guess my, my my trips to Sweden have been a lot more memorable, and, and part of that is because I'm usually out there for Paradox events, and one nice thing, or at least like a few years ago, Paradox was a much smaller company, mm-hmm. and so these things were a lot less structured, uh, and there's a lot more, uh, you know, free time, and that you were a lot less booked, uh, so there was a lot of time for... Uh, some colleagues and I in, in the games press, um, you know, my friends from, you know, Rock, Paper, Shotgun and such, we would kind of, uh, you know, always break out early and try to shake our PR handlers uh, and just sort of like roam around Stockholm. And those were pretty great nights. Uh, and Stockholm is a really cool town. Like, I, I really have in, enjoyed my time there. Uh, but again, part of the reason it is so easy to navigate and feel at home in uh, Stockholm is that I have never met anyone there who does not speak uh, English as well as a native, <laughs> like a, 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 a native-born American. That's what made it uh, interesting when uh, I went to uh, Iceland for um, Eve Online's Fan Fest uh, when I worked at Giant Bomb, and I actually went with a video producer because the whole uh, Drew Scanlon, who now does a Patreon uh, uh, or a program, or he does a video channel called Cloth Map, um, which you can support over on Patreon, and you should. Um, pretty sure it's patreon.com slash cloth map. Uh, we always had this idea that we wanted to do, like, what is what, what is what, literally what he's doing now is uh, traveling around the world and trying to find interesting game stories uh, in in just non-traditional places. Like, so not Japan, basically, um, and things like that. And so we went to Iceland after CCP reached out and said, hey, would you like to come cover FanFest? And my immediate response was, I don't know anything about EVE Online other than, like, the re- couple of reporting pieces I've done about the weird shit that something awful people uh, get up to uh, in that game. And, uh, they, I mean, they, they paid for us to go. Like, that was the only way we could actually go. Like, there was no way for Giant Bomb to, like, budget and uh, and actually make enough money off the trip. And so, on top of that, not knowing much about EVE Online, I think I played, like, 45 minutes of it before, like, the day before I went to go travel. Um, we explicitly made the whole trip uh, about, like, trying to experience Iceland and basically, like, games as, like, a really, like, short, connective tissue. Um, but otherwise, it was like, let's go do weird shit in Iceland and like let's see if we can ethically convince ourselves it's okay to eat whale because in Iceland they they claim it's ethically okay to eat whale so how does uh, how does that fall on our personal spectrum when we're in Iceland well yeah and so I've been to Iceland and I guess you know I I do get it like it's a um it's a mar- you know it's it's historically a very maritime community and it's a pretty harsh uh it's a pretty harsh climate up there so I can understand why not only you know is is whaling sort of a vital economic bedrock of of the island for uh, for many years there, but then also why you'd probably be cool with eating uh, <laughs> whale. And I will say so. So I've had it. Um, it was surprisingly delicious. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. It was. I want to remember it being it tasting sort of tuna like. If I yeah. if 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 I remember my uh, palate, uh, I I couldn't finish the whole thing because it, even as someone 
that is you know interested in trying exotic foods, likes to have an open mind. I have eyeballs, and uh, the when you were slicing up um, the the cut of whale, like the tendons were like very apparent in like like I I, fe- I just felt more like I was cutting into flesh than I usually uh, feel comfortable with when I am eating food. Oh yeah, ours was very much like a sanitized, like it was brought to us uh, in small plates. Uh, oh, and, I got uh, tiny little like bite-sized fillets. Uh, so it was very easy to sort of like abstract away uh, the uh, you know very intelligent, long-lived mammal uh, that, that this had been. <laughs> So, yeah, like, it's an experience I had, uh, but I probably wouldn't avail myself of it again, uh, is where I've, where I've come down on it. Um, but I will say, uh, Iceland, so admittedly I was hungover at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, but A lot of drinking happens of... in Iceland, so that's, like, that's normal. Yeah, and uh, it was, it was so it was one of those brutal, uh, you know, memories of, you know, my my life really is that I was I was slightly hungover on this um this this tour we took of parts of the island and they took us out to the middle of nowhere, which if you get outside Reykjavik, everything kind of feels like the middle of nowhere. Oh yeah. Uh but it was apparently to this old like meeting ground where, you know, the various uh freemen w- would meet and sort of discuss issues for the communities. Like sort of where the Congress would meet, I guess. But it was just in this open air uh, area in this like bowl that had been carved in to volcanic rock, and I remember we like it was it, it was pretty heavy weather outside the tour bus, and I was not remotely dressed for the occasion. Uh, I was just wearing like uh, a long sleeve shirt under a thick sweatshirt, uh, and I was like, "Yeah, this will be fine." Like, this, this sweatshirt, <laughs> the sweatshirt is like taking the worst that Boston's thrown at it. How bad can this be? Um, the person they issued ponchos to a lot of the people uh, on the bus. I started to put mine on, but the 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 first two people outside of the bus they they step off, go outside into this uh, the snowstorm. What I thought was a snowstorm, and the wind, and the shards of ice that are flying through the air, shredded the ponchos before <laughs> my eyes. These were like latex, like rainproof. <laughs> ponchos and immediately the wind just took them and like cut them into strips like they didn't just come apart like literally they like just were sliced up into tiny little ribbons until they blew away um and so then i step outside into this and it is had to have been like 60 mile an hour winds uh with chunks of ice flying through it wow (laughs) um you're instantly soaked through uh and then you're like yeah, I have never been this immediately cold or miserable. Like, I raced to this building, uh, and by the time I get there, and I'm a big dude, and I can, you know, handle cold. By the time uh-huh. I get there, I am, like, teeth chattering, like, cannot stop shaking uh, cold from probably couldn't have been more than, like, a minute and change of exposure. That is <laughs> that's bad, Rob. That's, that's a bad situation. The hangover stopped being an issue. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's go over some of the games uh, that we've been playing this week. You wrote a story uh, this week uh, talking about sort of Destiny 2's uh, campaign. I finished that uh, earlier this week and have moved on to some of the side mission stuff. And I did the the Nightfall with uh, Austin and some friends earlier this week. And I'm uh, getting ready to hopefully uh, – some of us are thinking of maybe d- doing the raid 
next week and streaming it. We'll see uh, if that uh, actually uh, ends up panning out. But uh, how did you end up coming down on on Destiny 2's story for for folks that haven't uh, had a chance to, to read your piece? Uh, well, and you should absolutely read uh, the piece, which is a long-form feature on our uh, <laughs> website, uh, and it's uh, very easy to read with our, with our CMS and, and ads. Yes, no, uh, yeah, uh, reading uh, Waypoint is a seamless experience that is a low uh, low performance hit on all uh, machines of all uh, shapes and sizes and types, and you'll be fine, you'll be fine. Just go over to waypointdevice.com yeah. and you'll have a super pleasant experience. <laughs> You'll love it, but uh, if by some chance you've been discouraged uh, from that experience, I think Destiny 2's campaign is a massive improvement over the first campaign, but that's not saying much, because the first campaign was kind of literally hacked together uh, at the last minute out of the ruins of whatever Bungie's original ideas were. I don't think it's as strong or... I I don't think it's as strong or as tight as necessarily the Taken King was, but... It's also trying to do a lot more. I think where my biggest disappointment is, is that the campaign opens really, really strongly and really seems to pose a major cha- like turn of events within the Destiny universe, right? Like, you know, in the opening sequences, basically all the Guardians are stripped of their powers. Like, you're a team of superheroes that are suddenly no longer super at all. You're, you're gods who are no longer immortal. And that seemed really, really cool. And I was really curious to see... Especially because Destiny 1 doesn't interrogate that question at all. And and most games don't interrogate the question of, like, why are you the one? In this case, it's not just the chosen one, it's the chosen ones. Like, humanity is granted these, essentially, immortality and unlimited power. But there's no... It's just sort of like, eh, like, you guys got to have it. Like, have fun. Like, as opposed to, you know, the, the question that is begged immediately by Destiny 2's premise of... Well, what ha- what happens to the people that weren't picked, and how do they feel? Yeah, and I and that's kind of the game that I was hoping we were getting. And for the first you know couple hours, it kind of felt like we were getting that game, uh, which was frankly way more ambitious and exciting than I'd really expected uh, from Destiny Two. But I was, I was excited to go in that direction, and and we'll probably have a spoiler cast on this game uh, at some point to talk a little bit more in detail about the campaign and. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff we've uncovered as we do adventures. But I think my big complaint against the story is that by the end, it seems to have basically, like, you know, just dusted off its hands of all the difficult stuff that's raised in the uh, in the, in the introductory sequences. And it's basically, like, racing back to the Destiny status quo, which at the start of this game is painted to be, like, not good enough, right? It doesn't make sense. And by the end, everyone is... It feels very much like, uh, you know, a you know, sitcom in some ways or, or an old, uh, you know, an episode of Law and Order or something where, like, none of this is going to continue. It has no impact whatsoever uh, on the on the ongoing arc of this universe. It, it's an event happened, and it meant nothing to these characters. Yeah, I mean, it, and it makes sense for them to strip away narratively the light and then they have to find some way to give it back to the player because that's just mechanically how Destiny works and it's not like they're going to make a Destiny 2 where... You became, you know, a a uh, a mortal, flawed, you know, sort of Call of Duty character that that doesn't have uh, some of these uh, extra powers. But I thought at least philosophically, narratively, they might go a little bit deeper because they actually set up a like, you know, I don't mean to this sound it's not too condescending, but like they actually have a villain with motivations in Destiny Two. Then those motivations, uh, 
despite being uh, piped out from a guy with, like, an extremely ugly face. Like, they do a very good job of presenting Gaul and his crew as just grotesque-looking creatures. But, like, they have a point about, you know, sort of, like, I understand why they would go to the lengths that they did to secure the light and the the lengths they would go um, to try and subjugate humanity in order to sort of, like, be on the side of the Traveler. And they raise some, like, interesting questions throughout the story about what that might mean. Um, and you're right, like, it would, you know, with without, like, spoiling the exact beats, like, it basically, the end uh, picks up with where you began. Like, there, yes, a story occurred, but, like, there wasn't, at, like, there were no arcs to the characters, right? Like, we got to a point A to a point B, but there, it doesn't feel like anyone learned anything along the way. You know, maybe that'll happen in the DLC. You know, you know, there are, is like a post credit sequence uh, a, a, a thing that like seems to set up where some of the story might be going, and maybe that's an opportunity uh, for them to touch on that. But I, I too, was disappointed, both uh, by the lack of answers to some of the more interesting philosophical questions that are also sort of a... The, the questions it poses are both interesting in the context of the Destined universe and its characters, and also interesting in the, con- like the meta context of, like, what it means to be like the all-powerful character in a video game, like it kind of works on a on a couple of levels without satisfyingly answering them on on either level. Um, but I also wonder, and, and this is something I, I've been thinking about this week. Like, do you would Destiny be better off if it just didn't have a campaign at all? Like, would a Destiny be a better game not if it abandoned storytelling, but instead it found ways to do new forms of storytelling that seem to better fit what the game's strengths are? which are not constrained narrative missions. They're, like, constrained narrative pieces that are part of, like, a larger dynamic woven world. I, I almost wonder if the... I don't think the, the, the actual design structure of a campaign is archaic, but I wonder if it feels forced into Destiny in a way that doesn't doesn't necessarily feel like that... I just don't know. I wonder at some point if Bungie's heart just isn't in it. Like, maybe they don't... Maybe part of the reason the campaigns struggle is because... Actually, their focus is so much elsewhere that the reason the campaign feels like an afterthought is because maybe it actually is an afterthought and isn't necessarily the strengths that the studio feels. Like, this is, like, mostly, you know, conjecture, but I just wonder, would a hypothetical Destiny 3 be better off fundamentally rethinking what it even means to have a campaign? I I think it... I think it would actually, uh, but I think it has to. It can't just do more of the stuff that already exists there. It would have to. It would, like you say, have to profoundly rethink how it's delivering story and get a lot more ambitious. But I think there are some interesting uh, directions that the stuff that's in Destiny Two is already pointing. And I'll give you an example of you know a case where Destiny's be doing a very job, very good. Jo- Destiny is doing a very good job of telling an evolving and shifting story through the repetition of content, which is inherent to what Destiny is. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's this character you meet, I think, on uh, Io named Asher Mir. (laughs) Your your favorite character. I only just met met them uh, a couple of nights ago when I was dicking around. Like, I didn't do a lot of the side stuff before I'd finished the story, and then... Even then, like, a lot of the best grinding is done by not interacting with the adventures and is best done, you know, doing heroic stuff for the public events and, and other things. So I, I've been going around and doing some of the story stuff. So I only, I only now understand the jokes you were making on Twitter earlier this week. It's like, how did I miss this apparently very weird fucking character in Destiny 2, um, which you're now going to elaborate on? But I, I just finally met uh, Asher a couple of days back. Yeah, and Asher is your 
very stereotypical uh, abrasive genius character like uh he's the scientist who is so highfalutin in his language that nobody can make out what he's saying half the time uh he's arrogant he's condescending but everyone just sort of has to put up with him because he's the science genius and so like for the for plot purposes uh questions go into asher and eventually uh through his uh process you know, ex- expository uh, <laughs> language comes out, and you get the next. <laughs> you get the next quest. So the first impression this character made on me was terrible, and uh, you know, I thought like, oh, what a loathsome character! I am just going to hate this guy from top to bottom. And I'm starting to revise my opinion on that, based in part on the fact that uh, something that is that I think is new in Destiny Two is that. So you're familiar with the strike playlist, where mm-hmm. you're going to be hitting these, uh, you know, almost like mini raids, again and again and again, and basically grinding them for loot, and also just because they're you know fun to do with friends. Mm-hmm. But each time you do a strike mission, different exchanges are served up. Like a lot of the dialogue that occurs over the course of a mission changes uh, from playthrough to playthrough, so that you know the you know seventh or eighth time. You, you're doing a strike, it still feels like you're hearing new snippets of dialogue and new exchanges that start shedding light on the characters you're interacting with. And one of the cool things with this is that it started evolving and complicating this character that I initially hated and thought was just a complete piece of garbage. Uh, and as I spent more time repeating strikes that where this character is involved, I've started to realize, like, there's a lot more going on with him. There's a lot more backstory. Uh, there's a lot of hints that, you know, behind this, uh, you know, abrasive facade uh, is a pretty profound depth of grief and isolation uh, and shame. And I've been really surprised because, like, maybe I haven't gone a full 180 degrees on this character, but I think I've gone about 90 degrees <laughs> in my reaction to this character. But the thing that I find really exciting about it is that. It's something that unfolded almost like episodically uh, mm-hmm. for the arc of this character, but through the repetition of these missions uh, in Destiny, which I think is really clever and is sort of the, uh, you know, if you can't beat them, join them uh, approach to storytelling. Because, you know, your community is always going to burn through all the missions faster than you think they are. Right. It's never going to stay fresh forever. So what they seem to have done here is they've just made it so that there's a lot of different stuff that can happen and be said inside those missions. And I think that's a smart direction and maybe the direction to start increasingly taking things for, you know, if, when there's a Destiny 3. Yeah, I I think the problem... I'm with you. I, I think what they probably should do is essentially ditch the traditional campaign structure and just invest those resources into making more instances of what exactly you're talking about or finding new ways to incorporate that like systemically throughout destiny. Because I think that how often are you going to replay the campaign missions, right? Like those aren't, those are not, those are the last things that people want to go and run through a second time often because they're longer. um, They're narrative heavy. um, And it would make more sense if there were these variations that occur in other parts of the destiny Mission structure, I, I think the problem that they're going to run into if they were to, you know, hypothetically do something like this is the headlines they would get, like, they already, ha- so they, like, they, they're kind of like damned if you do and damned if you don't. If they if they do do a campaign 
but understandably cannot commit the resources to making it uh, as bombastic and uh, spectacle-filled as you would expect from sort of, you know, a Halo-style campaign, the stuff they worked on for for more than a decade and perfecting uh, across those games. Uh, That's never going to be in Destiny because that's not the focus of Destiny. It's not why people are going to play that game for two, three, four years uh, after purchasing it. Um, If they were to exercise that, if they were to say, hey... We're removing a campaign from Destiny. They would be, I mean, just the headlines, the the backlash, like, it would be bad. Like, And so they're in this, like, really awkward spot where I wonder if the way forward is to essentially stealth remove the campaign. Like, you know, not necessarily formally say, hey, we're deciding to take Destiny in a new direction going forward and we're removing story missions, like, with a beginning and an end sort of thing. But find some way to start turning the focus away from that and instead uh investing those resources in the very stuff that that you're talking about because i just feel like that that that's more uh, even though i'm someone that loves campaigns like i i i love a game with a good structured story and 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 that's in a a tight box but i i also recognize that maybe that just does not work for destiny and that they would be better suited by just trying to put that both creative and and brain power into finding new ways that fit exactly what makes destiny destiny yeah, I think you have to rethink how you're delivering it, certainly. But I also think there's some like proof of concept stuff within Destiny that maybe show ways that you can more effectively blend uh, that MMO side with mission structures and narrative devices. Uh, something I see happening a lot on Nessus, <clears throat> which is uh, the planet where you go find Cade. Uh, it's got all the robotic Vex enemies on mm-hmm. it. Um, <clears throat> in the open world area, a lot of times you find players fighting a giant vex like walker mm-hmm. and then also sometimes a uh, fallen uh whatever their tanks are called little spider right. spider like scarab kind of things maybe i'm not maybe. i couldn't i couldn't swear to it sure <clears throat> but the 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 wild thing there is that that scare that that the tank thing uh pops up at the end of a strike like the end of your strike is that you emerge back into the open world with your strike team but now you are now you are back into the Nessus public area. But your your strike boss, your 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 sort of raid boss, as it were, is there in the public world now with you, and you're fighting with your strike with your fellow strike team. But it also looks like other players are joining in from the side now because right. for them there's there's a public event happening now, and holy cow, that's 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 wild. And what's really cool there is that. At several points in its in the campaign, Destiny Two does play around with this like uh, semi-public instance uh, type thing, where you're you're still in the narrative funnel, uh, but now other players are being brought in to share it with you. And then on Nessus, you see that take, taken to the next level, where okay, now you know you're in this entire mission structure, but you've been quietly sort of outletted back into a public area where your storytelling event is becoming everybody else's world world building event yeah i and i 100 percent think that is sort of like the path forward like and there's the uh i think you alluded to this when we first talked about um um, destiny but there's a sequence uh in the final mission of the game in which uh you end up intersecting with a lot of other guardians as you're headed towards a destination and you don't you don't you don't fight with anyone you're all just sort of like uh, platforming around and the music is swelling and there's no combat. You don't fire a bullet. You're all just 
moving in a direction, but there's a a sense of community, a sense of like I had like goosebumps when that was yes. happening, and and part part of why it's effective is because there are very few instances of things like that in the game. But I think it would. I, I wish Destiny Two and and whatever they do going forward was it Curse of Osiris or whatever the the, the first yeah. DLC is going to be this fall. Um, I want more of stuff like that. Like there, there, the fact that it essentially only happens twice, I think, in the whole campaign in the intro um, when uh, yeah. you, you, when the city is under attack. There's a moment where you'll link up with other players and you fight off a, a couple of waves. Um, I actually got linked up with Austin on that, even though we were not in a party oh, together. That's hilarious. Because we had the game early, and so we just hap- because we started at the same time. We just got lucky enough that we were linked up, but it, it was really fucking cool that the two of us, like completely by coincidentally, were playing with one another. And then there's the moment at the end of the game. As far as I can remember, there's not a single sequence in the middle uh, where they have you ha- have any intersection with other players. Now, granted, the reason they might do that is because they recognize that the story missions are going to be the least repeatable content, and that in the future, if they built a lot of uh, semi-public or public instances in your private sessions that they may not be <laughs> as interesting if there's no one there to join you. But I think the kind of stuff that you're talking about where the strike intersects with a public event, intersects with a world event, uh, I think that's the kind of stuff I want to see more of. Like, that's the story. That, that's the stuff that I, I, I would find memorable that may not necessarily be a lore dump, but in terms of, like, what Destiny does best is not necessarily tell us, you know, is, like, sort of you know, fitting with the PR, but like not necessarily the story that's being spun by the lore and the plot, but the, you know, the story of like your interaction with all these, these dynamic sort of systems uh, interlocking. And that's what I want that kind of story. Like when you layer that on with actual storytelling, like you were, you were talking about with Asher, that's like, that's what I want from a future destiny game is like, just double down on that specific way of having people weave in and out of their stories and in a world that is, is connected. That's really exciting. And when I start to think about the ramifications of that and the fact that they, you know, would work on things like that for several years, like that, that sounds like a very fucking cool game that may not have a quote unquote traditional eight hour campaign, but I think the dividends that it would get from pushing in that direction would more than, uh, outweigh the cost. So basically, make journey, but at the top of the mountain, you and your friends kick the shit out of a monster. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Journey with guns. That's what we're. That's what we're looking for. Uh, I. Uh, so I guess. Uh, Speaking of blockbuster franchises, uh-huh. yeah, setting the world on fire. Uh huh. Dishonored. <laughs> well, it's. It's a blockbuster franchise, as far as I'm concerned. Like this is, uh, yes. this is my uh, big fall release. Fall, the fall is over now. Yeah, uh, Dishonored. Um, uh, I just Death looked of up the, the Death of the Outsider, uh, which is a, a separate uh, deal, and I guess not DLC. I mean, it's an expansion. It is DLC, I guess, in a sense. An that expand alone. An expand alone. Um, so you don't need to own Dishonored two, although you should own Dishonored two um, in order to play it. Um, We've uh, on this podcast and writ large, um, there's been a lot of hay made about the fact that Bethesda uh, post Fallout 4 um, does not release uh, early copies of their game. They like to release their games on the strength of the game alone, um, believing that they don't need uh, or you know don't want to worry about 
misguided uh, media reviews uh, uh, dissuading people from trying out their games. Uh, they sent out early code for <laughs> Death of the Outsider, which um, I find to be distressing as someone that uh, enjoyed uh, Prey and en- really enjoys Dishonored, uh, because if they're sending out early code to traditional media outlets, that makes me think that Dishonored did very poorly, and they're worried this is going to do poorly, and that would be bad, because of the uh, 90 minutes I've played so far of Death of the Outsider, it, it feels very similar to uh, XCOM's uh, was it War of the Chosen, that's what the mm-hmm. expansion's called, Um in my running theory is that we're getting we're not getting XCOM three, we're not getting Dishonored three, because a lot of the interesting ideas are being dumped into um these expansions. Uh, one thing that's uh, interesting about uh uh Death of the Outsider is uh and I didn't know this going into it, I haven't read too much on it, I had not played it prior to release, is uh it gets rid of the chaos system. Um and so your actions no longer have an impact on the world in the sense that they determine a good or bad ending. Um and I f- found that oddly fucking liberating because I am someone that cannot play any game like this without going down the passive path. Um, even when sometimes it, I feel as though my character could justify violence in a way that fits the, the, either the character I've made up in my head and how I'm role-playing them or the character that's being depicted narratively in the story. But I am just the type of player that's always going to use a bow and arrow and trank darts and, you know, shutting down systems by hacking. That's just kind of the character archetype I'm always playing in these games. And uh, the, the character you play in uh, Death of the Outsider, uh, she, I forget, uh, uh, Billy, right? Is her? Is yeah, her Billy Lurk. Uh, um, man, she doesn't put up with shit. Like, she, she's a fucking, she's ruthless. And that she's portrayed that way. Um, she feels that way. And so when I started playing Death of the Outsider, my first thought when I got up to an enemy and I was given the option to uh, slit their throat or uh, just uh, kind of chokehold them and put them to the ground, I did do the chokehold because that was my instinct. And then I looked around. I was like, oh, shit, there's no chaos system. And then, it, like, a burden lifted off my shoulders. And I went around this mission and I slit some motherfuckers' throats over and over again. The bodies were piling up in this DLC. And it felt very satisfying because, one, I've never played around in that sandbox that way before. So it's like a whole new set of tools and strategies are open to me in a way that were not before because I can be much more aggressive. I can be much more uh, forward. Um, and in situations where I normally would have uh, quick-loaded back to a previous section to kind of retry the puzzle... The puzzle is different to me because my puzzle now involves the ability to shove a knife in someone's throat and try something different. And it feels canonical and, and narratively uh, correct. And so I am really, on, on one level, really enjoying just that freeing sense of a completely different play style um, that feels very appropriate and, and fun and very freeing. Uh, and I'm enjoying Cutting Fools is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. I'm really troubled that, like... It sounds like this was the moment for you that you realized, like, there's no heaven, the sky is vacant above you, there's no God watching. And then Sometimes the violence is the answer, Rob. Sometimes violence is the answer. That's interesting, because, like, I have, so I have aborted uh, high chaos runs of Dishonored. Like, I've been like, yeah, this time I'm just going to be the Terminator. It's going to uh-huh. be great. And I uh-huh. always feel like, 
I've kind of failed, and it's just it's a terrible disaster, and I don't want to continue with it. Uh, same reason I've never gotten through a uh, you know eat the little sisters uh, playthrough right. of Bioshock. Right. I'm just not doing that. That's what I'm here to do. Uh, so I am curious to see like will I be less obsessively stealthy and nonviolent, non-lethal uh, in Dishonored: Death of the Outsider uh, if that system is removed i'm also like i wonder if it's going to tie in thematically to the fact that the like you know judging from the name the end game here is that you're going to be taking out the uh, sort of god of chaos uh, and violence that has governed the previous games right like to an extent all the all the havoc you wreak in the previous games has been kind of in the service of him and here it's not yeah, I mean, the sort of part of the uh, sort of the questions the the game is exploring is like, you know, if you reject God, like, what are the consequences of your actions? So, you know, what if? I mean, I don't know. I I wouldn't be shocked if maybe the game actually does have a chaos system. It's just no longer making it. Uh, what if it had a chaos system that it's tracking and you're impacting things in the story? You just don't know it. You know, it's not surfaced in um, the actual uh, sort of like UI and systems. I don't know if that's true. That's just me theorizing, but. I'm, uh, and narratively, I'm interested to see where this uh, this uh, where Death of the Outsider goes because I, it always bothered me that in the first uh, two Dishonored games, like everyone just sort of takes the Outsider for granted, doesn't ask a lot of questions about this sort of like uh, malevolent uh, the god creature thing that is bestowing powers and just sort of manipulating. Uh, Karnaka and who Lord knows how much of the the else of the world around them. Like it never fully. You, you get some, some of the lore explores like what the outsider is and its impact on society, but it never it never satisfyingly went down. The, I always finish those games going like, "Yo, anyone think it's fucking weird? What's going on with this outsider guy? Like, just me? Just me? am I the only one putting up my arm about this outsider?" And this DLC seems to sort of squarely put in front of it like, "Hey, what if we told a whole story that's about?" exploring like what has otherwise been like a like the outsider is a big part of dishonored one and two but also isn't right like it's not it's not the focus of the story it's just like a puppet uh uh, kind of pulling the strings um and this dlc seems squarely focused on sort of checking off the last uh narrative question from the series like dishonored two kind of brings um that sort of arc from one and two to a satisfying close like you don't really you don't really need to revisit um, those characters in a sequel, I think they've said if they did Dishonored 3 that it would be far, far away from anything in these two games. On that and, other, that crazy con then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and this seems to be tying up uh, whatever loose ends are related to uh, the outsider and the mythology surrounding uh, him. And the powers they uh, grant you, uh, Grant Billy, in this are really fucking weird so uh, one of them um, allows you to – it's essentially a blink mechanic. So the blink mechanic in Asandard allows you to sort of uh, you know, target a spot and zap over to it. So there is an equivalent of that um, in Death of the Outsider. Um, but if you – you don't just set it and zap to it. So if you uh, – you hold down uh, left trigger um, and then you can set that – you set the spot. So you've set where the where the blink location is, but then it remains there, and you're tethered to it. So like your arm stays up, and as long as you are within uh, eyeball distance of it, like if you have a line of sight with the spot you set, you can walk around and interact with the world, and then blink over to there in the middle of it. So the for example, 
you can set like set a spot that's uh, down a set of staircases that's out of eyesight of the guards. Um, you can go in, knife two guards, and all of a sudden that sets off five of them. Oh, I don't have enough. Uh, I'm not going to be able to take out all of them at once. Boop. As long as you are within line of sight of um, the blink location you've set up, you immediately warp over there. Um, Whoa. The, yeah. It I'm trying to a, wrap my head around how I'd use that. That is so different. Yeah, it's it's they the powers included in, in this DLC like fundamentally make you rethink how like how you interact with the world. The second one, uh, there's only three powers. You don't choose them. You don't upgrade them. Um, I haven't gotten to the black market, so I don't know exactly if there maybe are some uh, 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 some more uh, minutia to that. But uh, the second power um, is you can steal someone else's face, so you can go to any NPC or guard in the game and then assume their identity. Um, and so you can use that to like more cleverly get around uh, the place. You can chain this together. So let's say like you're walking around as like a random civilian, like you assume their face, and then you can walk up to a guard, assume their face, and then if you're a guard, that means you can waltz right through a set of gates um, without having to do any other uh, nonsense. And that would allow you to say get into a room that otherwise you might have to find. Uh, you know, a key, or uh, they might have to go find some door uh, or window that's open somewhere else. Like you can actually just assume someone's identity and then walk on through. Um, and the third one, which is uh, builds on these other two, is you can assume what's called your spirit form, and you essentially become a ghost. Uh, can leave your body, and then this is kind of the the version, uh, like a riff on uh, how you could like uh, assume uh, like the form of a rat or a fish. Yeah. Um, uh, and then you could kind of sneak into like weird spots of a castle. Like you could like go in through a vent as opposed to going through doors and windows. And so this allows you to go through like let's say like little vents and things like that. But uh, not only can you then start marking uh, objects in the environment, so like you can mark like different enemies and NPCs, so that your actual self, who is a long ways away from the spirit, will again have that information when they assume their fleshy form. Uh, you can, uh, in the spirit form, you can set your blink marker. So, like, the example that's shown in the tutorial video, I've only played long enough to get all these powers. I haven't actually had time to, like, enact them. But so the example they show is, like, let's say you're in front of a locked door. Um, uh, You can see to the other side, but there doesn't appear to be any way for you to get in. Um, You then assume spirit form. You sneak your way in through a vent. uh, You... Uh, uh, then go to that other side of the door because your blink cannot go through an object um, unless you have set it on the other side of that object. Um, So you'll set the blink, reassume your flesh form, and now, because you have line of sight with it and your spirit form set the blink marker on the other side of the door, you can now tether yourself to that (laughs) blink marker and blink through the door. Um, And it just, all those three, like while simple powers set up like extraordinarily interesting scenarios for how you would deal with different guard formations in the game. And I'm tremendously excited to start fucking around with them. Man, this is but like arcane are so freaking good at this kind of game, but with dishonored, they've really done something special. Cause like with the first game, when you got, when you, when with the knife of Dunwall and, and Brigmore witches, <clears throat> I thought, 
you'd basically just get variants on the same powers, um, but you don't. You get a, a variety of new powers. Like even basic, the, the basic movement powers have mm-hmm. behaved differently for all uh, four major characters at this point. Like, and that ties in so beautifully with uh, sort of like what the outsider is in this world, right? Where like he always gifts you these powers and there's always something sort of like implied that there's something inherent about the gifts that have been chosen for you, for your character tying to who this character is, right? Their powers kind of represent uh, the potentialities uh, for that character and like the various personas that might be inside them. And so like just from a gameplay perspective, it like changes up what you do in the game quite a bit and like forces you to rethink and reinvent how you play Dishonored but I also love like it has this narrative component of like oh yeah you get you get these these powers from the outsider but it's always sort of different based on who you are and mm-hmm. you no two characters do the exact same thing the exact same way yeah and, and what I like about how different um, these powers are is that I mean I guess you could just run into every situation and parry every attack and, you know, just stab everyone. Like, that's probably still, like, a way you could play this game. But if you want to be, you know, approach the powers um, and, and incorporate them into your strategy, like, there's almost no way with these powers to do the exact same things I was doing in previous Dishonored games. And that's, I appreciate when games force me out of my habits because, you know, as we all know, when you play a game and get a strategy down you can become sort of uh, obsessed with playing out that specific strategy to an end that is frustrating. Um, And it's always good when a game designer can come up with creative ways to say, hey, we're going to force you out of your box. We're going to find, we're going to make you play this in a different way. And it seems like Death of the Outsider, uh, both in removing the chaos system and in giving you three powers that are just fundamentally different than almost anything you've played with uh in dishonored and both and two of them are almost passive powers right like uh they're 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 not necessarily all based on offense or defense um uh, they they force you to think about the world in a different way and the 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 one quirk of the blink mechanic is that you can if you set up uh sort of like your your little uh your blink area and if you draw someone over to it like if you like throw a bottle and trick them to walk over there and then if you blink to it, then they explode and <laughs> their, their whole body just implodes all over the place, which is which sounds very good. Yeah, it does. Um, it is important to sort of fix that optimal play or the or the or take away the player's most direct and functional uh, way to achieve an objective. Like I remember um, a lot of people who were like not a lot, but a number of people that I've talked to who are on the Bioshock One team mm-hmm. were always sort of surprised when I expressed that I felt like it kind of got boring and wrote after a point because like, you know, you didn't really need to evolve things too much beyond the old one, two punch you're taught at the start, right? Zap someone with a power and then shoot them with a gun. Yep. And their feeling, at least the sense I get is that internally they felt they provided so many different tools for the player to use that like people would just sandbox it, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you could be straightforward, but why would you, you'd obviously want to play with the traps and the bees and all that, all that stuff. And in practice, players don't approach games that way. They, they stick with what works. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But Dishonored has been very clever about, at least from game to game, forcing you to change that up. Like, within the game, you still probably have your, your preferred approach. But mm-hmm. at least Dishonored has not been the same game with the same strategy every time out. 
<laughs> this one item called a hook mine um, where uh, you can attach it to surfaces and you can give it a lethal or non-lethal option. Um, but it uh, from across a room will grab an enemy and pull them over. So you can attach it to ceilings. You can attach it to sides of walls. Um, uh, one sequence I had, uh, I set it to lethal because, uh, like I said, I'm killing I'm killing fools in uh, Death of the... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Outsider. And I, so there was an area with two enemies and I wanted to get rid of one of them. Um, and so uh, I opened the door. I uh, set the uh, hook mine to the other side of that door. I tossed a bottle in because I didn't care which one got taken care of. I just wanted one of them to get hit. Tossed a bottle in to attract them within the vicinity of the hook mine's uh, radius, shut the door, and then just hung out there on the other side, hearing them freak out, hearing them kind of rush over to where they heard the bottle, and then hearing the hook mine grab them, oh explode, and then, like, I didn't realize that's how it killed them. It was like, there's like a bomb that goes off, and just like the arms on one end, one end the, the heads on the other side of the room, and this other guy is just panicked. And I just walk in there and stabbed him, and ah! It's very good. It's very good. I I think it's a uh, it's probably a decent introduction to Dishonored. You know, narratively, obviously, it's sort of like the end game. But uh, if you it's cheaper, so if you wanted like to see you know kind of what Dishonored is about, um, uh, this seems like it might not be a terrible way to to jump in and, and mess around. Uh, did you want to briefly talk about uh, what's going on with your Battlestar uh, Galactica <laughs> Deadlock? Is that an expansion? Is that an yeah. original game? It's an original game. Uh, and yeah, we'll just touch on it briefly. I'll probably go into it a little more maybe next week. But it's uh, so it's, it's from uh, Slytherine, which is a war game publisher. And usually this stuff is uh, not super user-friendly. It's very, you know, uh, counters and hexes uh, type war games uh, for the most part. And I wasn't expecting much because, you know, it, both that publisher hasn't like led me to expect that they're going to execute on licenses uh, real well. And then the other thing is BSG's day is kind of done, right? Like this is not a hot property uh, anymore. We've been quite, we're, we're quite a ways removed from when that series uh, was, was at its pinnacle. So I wasn't expecting a whole lot, but I'll be damned if they haven't done a pretty good job of creating a little like naval war game that feels authentically uh, Battlestar Galactica, uh, the the more recent series, obviously not the seventies, eighties uh, uh, TV version. And so the way it works is it's a lot like uh, you know your your garden variety uh, naval war game where like the ships are moving around uh, and they just have firing arcs, and the name of the game is to maneuver so that like the maximum number of like firing arcs and firepower are concentrated against sort of the most vulnerable parts of enemy ships. Uh, so just, you know, always have the firepower advantage. That's kind of what you do. And then the nuance obviously is uh, it's sort of using a simultaneous turn-based system, sort of like frozen uh, synapse, so that 
you plot out the maneuvers for your for your spaceships and then you hit go and your moves and the enemy's moves are resolved simultaneously in like these 30 second uh, increments. And where that can get a little hairy is that ships can collide. They can sort of, uh, you know, get in each other's way. It's a bit like the uh, X-Wing board game, uh, tabletop game, if anyone's played Mm -hmm. that. Uh, So a big part of it is about anticipating where ships are going to be moving at the end, where where they're going to be at the end of their turn, what they intend to do. Um, The other... The, 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 the two things that are really cool here is that there's a pretty good strategic layer uh, where you are... It's, it's a, honestly a bit like uh, Battlestar Galactica meets, meets XCOM. Uh, you're trying to secure all the original 12 colonies from impending Cylon attacks, and obviously your fleets can't be everywhere at once, so when do you react to something versus when do you sort of stand pat uh, and take your time getting around to dealing with an invasion? The other cool thing is that... Uh, so, the game itself looks and sounds pretty good, but what I love is that after a battle, you can watch the battle on replay, and you get a cinematic version of the battle you just fought that is... Oh, that's sur- really fucking cool! And I don't know if you ever watched Battlestar Galactica, but it had a really distinctive uh, style to its space sequences. Did you ever catch it? Uh, Yes. Yeah, so you know how it'd be like pulling focus and like zooming in and out and like mm-hmm. shaky cam stuff, and this does all of that. Like, so when you're watching your battle, you had your battle, which is you know pretty cool and neat, but then you watch the replay and it turns into a Battlestar Galactica TV show battle sequence. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't quite work. Like, obviously, it's an <laughs> algorithmic camera. It's not. It doesn't totally like always know how to frame the shot. But right. man, when it comes together. It looks, like, stunning. It's incredible. Uh, And that is kind of the big payoff for me, is, like, as these battles are getting bigger, it's getting easier for the director to find cool things to look at because there's more, like, you know, awesome shit happening all the time. Uh, And it is something, like, getting a wing-mounted camera view from one of your Vipers, like, that is, like, twisting and dogfighting in the middle of the, you know, battle that you just uh, admiraled, basically. It's really cool. Is there a way to, can you, like, export that stuff? Like, to share? That would be neat if, if like, that final movie, like, the, the way it all plays out would be something that you could, like, easily, you know, pop to Twitter or YouTube for, you know, to share with other people. That's, uh, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. I should actually look into that. I, I haven't seen, like, an export or, or like, save replay uh, function, but I'll still uh, look a little more carefully. But so far it feels mostly like it's a, it's a one-off. But you're fighting so often you're getting these pretty regularly it's it's right. it's neat as hell though cool um all right well uh i had hoped to we'd have time to talk about what happened with destiny and how it suddenly <laughs> somehow shipped with a flag uh, referencing a hate symbol referencing a 4chan meme but uh well let's we'll save that for monday my guess is that austin walker uh has some has some thoughts about that he'll, he'll austin will be back uh, on monday danielle is out all next week um but uh, the Rob Austin and I will be back on on Monday. But uh, let's uh, and the racism into... never stops. So no, like, we fuck, will man. hit this eventually, or with a new thing. This week was good for traffic, but it was bad for feeling good about yourself. <laughs> it was. Uh, uh, please, no. Just be chiller next week. Video games. People that say things about video games. Uh, so yeah, if you want to send in questions to the question bucket, you can do that to uh, gaming at vice.com with the subject question. 
Um, Rob, why don't you uh, pull a number out of the hat, uh, your hat, uh, Mario's hat, uh, oh, no. so, uh, so to speak. Uh, and then uh, we'll, between 1 and da, 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 52. All right. Uh, 23. 23. Okay. This comes from Benny. My question comes with a preface. By Friday, I've just completed and hopefully passed my first semester of law school. Since starting classes, my free time has become increasingly scarce. Gaming-wise, it seems like all I have time for is a quick uh, few games of Rocket League or a few matches of Overwatch on the weekends. Don't get me wrong, I love those two games for the ease of just being able to jump into them whenever I find the time, but I also find myself longing for something with a bit more substance. I was wondering if you had any suggestions for games with light, easy-to-pick-up stories that I'd be able to hop into on a week-to-week or month-to-month basis. Thanks, Benny. Uh, it says stories. So story, that's t- that's a tougher for me to think from a story. I mean, Spelunky is always the game that comes to mind for me when I'm like, t- want people that's something that they can jump into. The story of your adventure in Spelunky is often uh, very much a story upon itself. Spelunky is really good for th- the maximum around, you know, can go, even if you manage to get to the secret hell world and do all that. Like, you're never going to play it for more than 90 minutes. Like, more likely you're going to be playing in spurts of a, a minute to 10 minutes uh, based on how quickly you often die in that game. So I think uh, if you're looking for something that's like sort of single player, um, Spelunky is a, is always a, a, I think a really good recommendation for something that you can jump in and out of and feel as though you've actually had a good time and even made progress. Cause a lot of Spelunky progress is learning just how the world works. So each death is it, itself sort of an educational instructional tool. It's like, Oh, I didn't know this is how the world reacts when, I use a shotgun in this way, and so that informs your next run. So uh, I would say, off the top of my head, Spelunky, and then I'd have to think harder for one that has a story. Hmm. Yeah, I think if if you want a story, uh, something that fits this sort of like quick hit, uh, but also has a, has a narrative. I think Pyre is a really good bet. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a good lot call. of short matches, but an overarching uh-huh. story. Uh, so that might actually be a good pick for you. Um, but yeah, like, you know, usually it feels, it feels to me like, unless you're going to embrace the, uh, sort of open world action game where everything is like little McMissions, um, it's tough to combine that sort of short session and then satisfying narrative, uh, model. They, they, they seem tough to, they, they, they seem tough to reconcile. Uh, I mean, I, I we talked a lot about Destiny 2. Destiny 2 actually has... Uh, I, I'm going to write about next week as someone that largely plays Destiny uh, solo. You know, does jump yeah. in with friends every once in a while, but uh, my schedule tends to not line up with other people's schedules, and I often will be playing and then have to leave to deal with a child crying uh, in the middle of the night, and then... That's that's when we start failing the strike because I have to walk away for a minute and a half. Um, as, so as my I, buddy uh, Julian Murdoch uh, once said, his secret to being a successful gamer uh, with an infant was, I think his exact phrase was, "You slap that fucker inside a baby Bjorn, and then you just game <laughs> on." That's true. Uh, you, I could do that for the first six months. Uh, now I'm out of that. Uh, oh man, that window. But yes, when you have a when you're when you have a kid that's first born, fuck man. I people. Uh, yeah, I kept thinking uh, when Jessica was first born, like, oh, I'm not gonna. You know, this is it. I'm gonna finally learn what it's like to not play video games anymore, despite the fact that my job 
is to, to play video games and write about them. Um, but the first couple of months, oh my God, that is 100% true. You you do. You stick a, a, a bottle of a formula in their mouth and you put them in a baby Bjorn and you, you they just sleep. I played uh, the first two weeks of Jessica uh, being born, which was mostly spent on the couch with her sleeping in my arms. I played like 65 hours of The Witcher 3. I finished both DLCs. Um, because I just My wife uh, was trying to sleep as much as she could, and uh, I was just on the couch with her. Um, but uh, Destiny 2 actually would be a good game for kind of what you're talking about um, because um, a lot of this, the, the story missions, the side missions, are structured to be, you know, 10, 15, 20-minute affairs. It's very easy to drop in, drop out. If you just want to do, like, patrols or um, public uh, 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 sort of missions, like, it's stuff that you can do in five minutes. Um, So Destiny, I think, is actually one of those that, uh, as much as we criticize it for the narrative, and I certainly stand by all those criticisms, uh, if you're looking for something that has some narrative hooks and also supports getting in and out really quickly, I think Destiny uh, 2 is not... A bad option um and uh good luck with the rest of i don't know when this came in so i don't know where you're at benny in law school hope i hopefully you passed your classes hopefully you well at the rate your... we're going through this mailbag uh benny's actually sitting on the federal <laughs> bench uh by this point uh so congratulations justice benny we're we're very happy for you benny so uh, thanks for writing in um if other people have questions like i said you can write in uh to gamingadvice.com this section uh, with the subject uh, question, uh, but that's going to do it for to, uh, Waypoint Radio uh, this week. Um, Rob, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on twitter.com slash at Rob Zachney. Uh, you can find me at Patrick Klubick. You can find uh, Austin at, at underscore Walker. And oof, what is what is Danielle's? Is Danielle Rando? Is that just Danielle her? R.I.? Danielle R.I., that's right. Uh, you can find Danielle uh, on there as well. Um, you can follow everything we do at uh, Waypoint at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can follow us at uh, Waypoint on Twitter, uh, Waypoint Vice on Facebook, YouTube, Waypoint Vice. Um, and uh, we took, uh, largely took off streaming uh, this week because we are uh, understaffed. Um, but uh, when Austin is back next week, we'll pick some of that up. We'll, I think the Battlegrounds uh, patch hit that added the uh, low-frequency foggy map variant. So hopefully we can hit that next week. Um, and like I said, we are uh, mulling over the idea of um, going in largely blind to Destiny 2's raid uh, next week. So we'll see if we can't uh, pull that off. Um, uh, our thanks to uh, Bowen uh, for letting us use uh, the track Miss You off his EP, Pale Machine. Um, I would shout out our producer, but I don't know who's producing this podcast. I have an email that I'm going to send it to. Shout outs to insert person advice that hopefully is the right person to send this podcast to uh, for producing this. We'll, we'll thank you properly on Monday's show. Um, but uh, otherwise, uh, I guess I guess um, I would say, uh, as this podcast ends, I would say, uh, stay woke out there, fellow gamers. Or be good at it. <laughs> Fine, that too. See you guys Monday. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. 
Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.